0: Today, I'm joined by religion journalist and author of Reorganized Religion, Bob Smutana. We talk about the state of organized religion, how he felt about landing that exclusive interview with Beth Moore, and if we should burn all of organized religion down to the ground and start over.
1: I don't know if we need a crisis, but the world had, supplies its own crises. Yes, it does. And then what do you do in those crises? In the crisis, yeah. you can turn on each other or you can get to work. Then they pick up a story and start beating up each other. And they start making up stories about why the other people are so terrible. One guy's like, they killed my brother. And the other character's like, wait, you don't have a (laughs) brother. And I'm not very, I guess I shouldn't say this. I'm really interested. You should all listen to this podcast. But, you know, I don't want to know what I think. I want to know what other people think.
0: This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Hey friends, I know what it's like to know you should do something, but you just can't figure out a way to actually do it. I bet getting started with a counselor is one of those things. Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. You can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangle Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. But this episode is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor anytime, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Bob Santana has been on the podcast previously, but this time we're talking about his new book, Reorganized Religion, The Reshaping of the American Church and Why It Matters. Bob has worked the godbeat of religion journalism for two decades. If anyone has a right to feel a little jaded, it's Bob. And yet when I read his book, I found myself surprisingly emotional as he shared why this isn't just a job or an intellectual pursuit for him. It's personal. Here's our conversation. I have a list of questions okay. for you. Oh
1: gosh. There
0: you go. <laughs> Not hard ones. Um, but you've been writing; you write for a living. Yes. And you decided to write a book. Yes, I did. Why this one? And I'm assuming this isn't the first book that you've written. You no, probably I, had I done... the itch to write a book. But what was the what was the why did this capture you?
1: A couple things. I'm really interested in this topic, right? I'm interested in all the change and the complexity of the change (laughs) and the important role religious groups play and that they're disappearing and there are downsides to disappearing. So one of them is the community service part. The other part is this like social capital part. You know, we're not learning how, and the way churches are changing to be more monocultural is also changing the way that we interact as a culture. We don't yeah. don't have these kind of cross-cutting places where people Right, are the big different... sorts impacting yeah. our churches.
0: Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: but so we don't have these places where we learn how to disagree. And I was telling someone, I wonder if some of the conflict in the culture and in big denominations is because you've lost uh, sort of the places where you had congregational polity, where people had to, argue with people that are going to stay around for a long time.
0: Yeah, that you live by, that you work with, that you're going to like hang out at the park with, play baseball with.
1: You know, in the church, and you have a kind of incentive to get along with these people and listen to them, even though it still makes it different than like a town hall meeting. A town hall meeting, you are going to live with these people, but you don't have this uh, kind of common identity or this religious impulse to get along. Where churches have that, and some of that is missing, so that's a big part of it. I think it took a long time to get it together because um, it's you know I could I could write about all kinds of things. I could yeah. write about cat cults and
0: <laughs> yes,
1: uh, you know I would actually want to write a book about leadership issues at uh, big churches and the problems of them, the kind of celebrity issues of. Uh, churches and I kind of pitched an idea around, and couldn't get it. And which is, uh, and then Caitlin Beatty has this yes. book called Celebrities with Jesus. And so I'm really impressed by that book for two reasons. One, it's a great topic. And two, she got somebody to pay, say yes yeah. to it because it's a hard pitch. It's hard to pitch a book and it's hard to do it. And then it's hard to say, like, you send it out in the world and then you don't know. Will people read yeah. it? Will they connect with it? But I felt like it's, this is worth spending my time asking people about. And there is yeah. great stories that people don't know.
0: Yeah. One of the interesting things I think about writing in more of this modern world is that while it's still very solitary, you get to put out some ideas into the world through social media and see how people are reacting as you're working on things. So you can get an idea if people are interested yeah. in resonating more than you would maybe even a decade or two decades ago. So
1: Yeah, I think that's that too. And then then you can get the ideas out in the public and see. And I actually just went the other night and talked to some people about this in Wisconsin at this church. It was great. It was great to meet with people in person. It's like, this is weird. A meeting, because I've done some book events online, but they're different. A a live audience is much better. And you have good, they had great questions. You know, someone asked me if they're. They were just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then how do they adapt and stay faithful to what they want to believe and what they do? And so, and they, p- people want to figure out how to do this and understand what are all the reasons why it's difficult.
0: One thing, I do have a question along the lines there of what you said. You have looked at all of this research. You've talked to a lot of people. You've spent two, two decades in the religion, God beat world of writing. And you talk about this trajectory of our world being more pluralistic, Mm -hmm. right? And that is one of the the pitfalls that some of um, the organized religion denominations are having to grapple with. If the world is more pluralistic, but I really do have some strong feelings about what my theology is, if, if the only way my church is going to last is if I'm willing to collaborate with people that I don't necessarily agree with, how does that work? And how can I do that, Bob? I think there are some people that are like, is that unfaithful? Is that wrong? It makes me think of Bob Roberts and how he does all this stuff with all these different faiths. But people don't. I mean, I I know that he's had some pushback. But like, what are your thoughts on that? So a couple of saying. things.
1: So so if you look at this thing that's happening in Martha's Vineyard right now, as we speak. So it's yeah. uh, mid September. A group of Venezuelan refugees get dropped on a plane, and Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. And Martha's Vineyard is an interesting place. It's kind of it's a it's a summer vacation spot. So if you grew up in Massachusetts like I did, you you'd go there, right? You go. We yeah. went on our youth group annual trip bike trip on Martha's Vineyard. That was our thing to do. So it's a vacation spot. There's also really wealthy folks there. Yeah. Obama has a house there. And then the rest of the year, it's a place where people live. You know, they when the tourists are all gone, people still have to make a living and live there. So that's a different world. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Massachusetts isn't the Bible Belt. So in the Bible Belt, Christians are used to being in charge. And Protestant Christians, especially even yeah. Zohos, are used to being in charge. And yeah. the East Coast, the Catholic Church was the largest group The other groups are smaller. There's more Jewish folks, but there's still religion isn't in charge anymore. And so that makes it easier for people to collaborate because they're small enough to know, like, we are all peers here. We have to work Mm, on this. This is our community. We love these folks. What is our job to take care of our community? I think you're seeing a, a couple places, some real robust interfaith work and not ecumenical work, sometimes ecumenical, which is a great word, but it can mean a kind of lowest common denomination, denominator yeah, yeah. working together, where I think you see in interfaith work people who are very clear in what they believe, but they also are clear that the goal is to do some things to help the community. So yeah. we can do that, and you can collaborate with people because you're neighbors with them. And your neighbors are not always going to believe the same thing or think the same way or go to your church, but you all have a stake in the health of the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. The common good. Yeah. And so that should, are you arguing Bob that that should be more important than our fear that somebody might end up at the wrong church in the end?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I suppose. I mean, that's what I mean. So, so here's the funny, the funny thing is this. So churches were built for a world where most people were going to go to a worship or be part of a congregation, right? Of some kind. And it was mostly Christian. And so all the different Christians were competing for market share. Yeah, And sometimes the competing was we're the right church. We're better than those other people. Those people are wrong. Sometimes it, it was we're the right church for you. Not okay. necessarily that we are... You know, the other people are wrong, but we're we're better match for you. And then you had the kind of Protestant mid-1900s, actually most of the 1900s, fight between Catholics and Protestants, where the Protestants were thinking the Catholics were a threat. And now you're in a world where you have to kind of convince people that going to church or being spiritual or being involved in organized religion is part of their lives or could be part of their lives you're not competing for a market share. You're just competing for any kind of attention sure. because people don't think this matters. And yeah. so it's a different kind of world. But if you're set up for how do we, that people we expect people to show up on our door and we're going to give them a good experience. So they stay, you're missing out that the world is a place where people are, just not going to show up mm-hmm. and you're going to have to think about, Oh, what do we, what are, what do we offer? How do we connect with people? Uh, and show them that this is worth paying attention to and that there might be a place in this community for them.
0: Yeah. And it's not necessarily, like you said, the lowest common denominator that is, that is uh, making people work together. When it comes to like this Martha Vin- Martha's Vineyard thing with these yeah. immigrants, like these people, they're like, this is actually, this is very good work. Yeah. This is what we're about. Yeah. And yeah, it's more important than like, whether we believe in predestination or not or in yeah. baptism.
1: And, and there are all kinds of outside forces working on churches and all kinds of conflict right now that, that religious groups get drawn into and narratives. And so I think that one thing that churches have to and other faith groups have to be wary of is whose narrative is running the show. Are you mm-hmm. in someone else's narrative or are you doing what you think is the right thing? And you find common cause with people, but what's the, what's the, goal that you're after because different people have different kinds of goals.
0: Yeah, and and can we do this without putting a sign up that says this good work was brought to you by?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people have I mean I suppose it's good for people to know that there are collaborations because you want people to support what you do. Yeah. Um I think that most of the work that gets done actually people don't say anything about because they don't pay any attention to if there's an urgency, uh, the church. There's we urgency don't have time to, it,
0: to make a T-shirt. We don't have time to make a sign for. The...
1: So, like one of my favorite stories is the story of this little church in Smyrna called All Saints, which is a Episcopal church that had a church feud and uh, during the Episcopal Church wars. So, a group of people leave and they have left. It's a friendly new church actually, but they so they leave a, a handful of people with a big mortgage and no way to survive. And they leave these friends behind. And these these, people are like, what do we do? We thought we were here for the long time. And then now we're stuck. And then these refugees show up and save this church. And the Episcopal Diocese is doing this. Nobody knows about it. I only find out because I go to another church and the pastor kind of after we're done with an interview offhandedly says, yeah, we're going to work on this church being saved by refugees And I think, what? Why aren't you leading with this? Why are you getting saying we're doing this? No, they're not saying anything. They're uh, they're just not saying anything at all. Yeah, they don't.
0: And that ends up being the work. The work, yeah. Or the story, the story that actually happens when people think they're done talking to you about the thing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. No, it's the way that works. But there are there are kind of this, more, and they're just doing what they do. They don't think, oh. This is what we do. To, you should pay attention to us. They're like, hey, we need to do this thing because it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. And, and you talk about that in your book, that that particular story with that church in Smyrna. And so when you say that the, this refugee community saved the church, they wanted a place to worship. And the church had resources. They had land. That yeah. was really interesting. They did stuff with farming. Yeah.
1: yeah, they had like a farmer's market sort of thing going on. Our, far, our little farm, Yeah to raise some money for the place. They've continued to have a vibrant presence there. It gets some money from the diocese. What's well, a couple of things fascinating about it is one, I kind of feel bad for the people who left. Mm. Now they have started their own church. They're fine. Yeah. But they missed this other thing that they could have been involved in. And maybe, maybe it had to go this way because people could show up where the church was small and wasn't in charge and filled with a lot of people. They were just trying to keep all survive together. So if you're trying to also, so people get a lot more done when they are working side by side, and when they really have a crisis to get something done, versus when they're when they're not and they're thinking about all the other things that could pay your that take their attention. Yeah, you know, when they're thinking about church feuds, what ends up happening is new people that come in get drawn into those church feuds. So we, they need come a, for the we need a
0: crisis, like a real crisis that's beyond like what should the carpet be every yeah. so often to get us distracted.
1: I don't know <laughs> and, if we need a crisis, but <laughs> the world has, supplies its own crises. Yes, it does. And then what do you do in those crises? In the crisis, yeah. you can turn on each other or you can get to work.
0: Yeah. So the the premise of your book is that the world is changing. Mm-hmm. And if organized religion doesn't change with it, it's not going to exist. It's not going to exist the way it does exist now. And it has to make some shifts. Now, here's a relevant portion from Bob's book. During the heyday of the so-called church growth movement, which fueled the rise of many of the nation's largest Protestant megachurches, there was a phrase that was commonly used to promote this new hip way of doing church. We are not your grandmother's church. That phrase was splashed on billboards and repeated on best-selling books and promotional material for new churches across the country. Bob goes on to say, But the bigger picture facing churches is this. Your grandmother is the one keeping churches alive. You've seen the data. How is this different than every other generation, Bob? Hasn't every generation said, this is it, this is the end?
1: So A couple things. So you have... uh... So Pew Research just did this long report on looking at what does religion look like in America in 2070. Mm-hmm. And for their model, they looked at the age and demographics of the current population. They looked at uh, birth rates. They yeah. looked at transmission rates of the faith from one generation to another. They looked at religious switching, which is the people going in and out. So uh, well, a couple of things that religious sociologists know. So about a third of people leave the religion they grew up in. By the time they're um, thirty, yeah, an and actually, an growing number of people who are older than thirty are leaving. But still, the, the primarily is four thirty about a third leave, and only about twenty percent of people of those who grow up with no religion choose a religion. So they switch less. So more people go out of Christianity than come than come in from nuns from non Christians, and and the the Average Christian is 43. The average non, non-religious person is 33. So even though religious people have more kids, they're getting older. So you have an older and older. So at po- some point they're too old to have kids. So their growth rate's going to close. So you have that one, you have a kind of, you have a couple things. You have a changing of transmission of faith from one generation to another. You have a lot more switching out of faith. You have fewer kids being born. Uh, and then you have all the other changes. So you have a loss of interest in institutions in general. And this, you have the big sort where you're only interested in being around people who are like you. You have um, a changing demographics where the country. So when I was born in 65, 85% of the country was white. Almost everyone was Christian. Um, men were in charge. The ideal couple was a man and a woman. Very, very uh either traditional or heteronormative world, right? Yeah. So that's all changed. And religion was in a prime place in society. So now we're moving to a multi-ethnic, pluralistic world where it's egalitarian and LGBT-friendly. And that's a whole different world. When our granddaughter is born in December, she will be born to a world where half the people are white and half are not. So it's a much more... Uh, diverse world so the kid and people who are go to church now so among young people people who are religiously identify they're already in equal numbers so it used to be five or six to one where white Christians and non-white Christians were in the church well now among young people it's about one to one so that's a whole different thing too because so there's that, re-
0: like the, the data is there yeah, this isn't the just a, a hunch that no no no, no. So, right so there's
1: a there's no mathematical model in which Christianity increases now it could because all kinds of other things could happen, but it's not just that you have the difference between the normal differences of generational change. You have a generation that's much younger, that is very different ethically and sociologic sociologically than the larger than the older generation.
0: So which demographics or which sorts of churches do you think will be most taken by surprise by this? I would think that there are some that are a little bit insulated from these changes. And they're like, Bob, you have no idea. We just keep having all these baptisms and babies. So
1: so the other thing that's going on is that the average church, uh, two things have happened with churches. So the average church used to be 137 people in uh, in 2000, according to the Faith Communities Today study. Average church today, 65 people. Now, the average person goes to a church of a 300 to 400 people. So a lot of people who go to church go to big churches. So you don't always see that. There was this idea for a long time that conservative churches would grow, liberal churches would not. That uh, has been proved not to be true. Basically, monoethics. Was a, there was a lag, right? There was a lag. There was a lag yeah. because the birth rates were different. Now the birth rates yeah. have caught up. And so if you look at one of the churches that's, had the most decline in the last 15 years is the Southern Baptist convention just lost 2 million people in about 15 years. Yeah. And and they were so
0: proud early on about how they weren't losing the numbers. Some of the other, they, they,
1: they will hold off a little bit because they, they um, plant new churches, but you can't, you can't get new churches in fast enough to replace the people who are going to die and close. Um, you have a couple of churches that are doing pretty well. You have the the um, um, Assemblies of God, which is in the same kind of area as this, the um, Southern Baptists. They have two advantages: one, they're Pentecostals, and Pentecostals are yeah. growing right now. And two, they're multi ethnic.
0: Yeah, they're less white.
1: Really, yeah, so so that that helps them grow. Uh, but the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, for example, very very conservative, they are shrinking. The Evangelical Lutheran Church, which is progressive, they are shrinking. Any church that's mostly, denomination that's mostly white is shrinking. That's mostly birth rate driven and transmission of one, from one person to another.
0: That's fascinating. You argue though, in your book, this isn't a problem. This, this doesn't necessarily have to be a threat, right? It feels like a threat. Yeah. If you, if your number is, if you're used to a certain comfort in the way you do things, A change feels weird. It's, it's
1: awkward. Oh, change always feels weird. I hate it when we go to Chick-fil-A and up here we can't get the regular chicken fingers or chicken tenders, right? We only get the spicy ones. Bob. And you're like, I would like the regular chicken fingers. No, you can't get them. We don't have them. <laughs> Imagine dealing with all this change at the same time and a world that's that used to think you were great and now is hostile to you in some yeah. ways.
0: Yeah, I and, sent my dad the book Jesus and John Wayne, and he was like, yeah. I feel like I'm the bad guy in this book.
1: It's hard to have yeah. when people distrust you or yeah. or feel you have yeah. been oppressive or feel you haven't listened to them. That's hard. It's hard to listen to them. And as yeah. it's going to get worse as pe- churches get more diverse because you'll have more points of view saying, hey, here's the things we haven't told you before, but we're not real happy about them. And yeah. how do people listen to that? And how do yeah. people work together? That's going to be a real issue.
0: Yeah, tell me about what you are seeing in in regards to the the communities that are lasting, the ones that are set up to to work well in in this new world.
1: Well, I don't know if anyone's set up to new work you real have, well. I mean, you've a little. Yeah, bit. there are churches. There are churches that are adapting. There are churches um, that are changing. Um, one of my favorite stories in the book is this church called Quest Church, which is on Seattle. Uh, and they really were found, they were founded as a new, younger, Asian-American, mostly multi-ethnic church. They were meeting on the grounds of an older white church. And the older white church was fine, but they were thinking, nah, we don't have a really long-term plan. So they end up merging. They uh, end up actually... So they're still doing well. They ended up buying the building that was owned by Mars Hill Church when Mars Hill collapsed. But now they're planting other similar multi-ethnic churches. So about one in four churches in the country is multi-ethnic. That's going pretty well. I think big churches have an advantage right now in that they have more time to think about. Yeah, Uh, They're not in the same boat as small churches are. I think, I mean, every church, though, is dealing with this crisis of like, who does it mean, what does it mean to be a church in the 21st century with all these changes yeah, and yeah. especially post peak COVID, we think oh. we're in year three of COVID yeah. and year three of COVID is not the same as before COVID people yeah. aren't coming back. People are not volunteering as so much okay. as they do. They're still dealing with a aftermath of this. we are still all riven with, with dissension and anger over the changes in the country and can pin the pandemic, um, Accentuated those changes, so yeah, everything's tightened. People that are aware of this are at least talking about it and saying, "Oh, what do we do, and how do we move forward?" The answer is not to fight about it. If you're fighting about it, that's not so great. Yes, let's and talk there, about this. <laughs> and there are people. There are people who are. I mean, there are there are some congregations that are saying that are using polarization and anger and no COVID as a recruitment strategy. Yeah, that's working you for some can people.
0: really inspire people. Yeah. Are you going to track people? No, is
1: it going to be? Is that a long term strategy? I yeah. don't know. That's one of the people. One of the things that yeah. people are choosing.
0: You have a quote in the book that surprised me.
1: Oh, did it? Oh, which one?
0: <gasps> Only a fool fights in a burning house. Where did that come from? It
1: comes from Star Trek. It comes it from comes the from Day Trek. of the Dove, my favorite Star Trek episode, in which, <laughs> in which the. Uh, the members, the crew of the Enterprise comes. If you know anything about Star Trek, the Enterprise yeah. the spaceship, they come along. They encounter this Klingon ship, which is has, is in trouble. They say, "Oh, we're going to help you out." And then the Klingons say, "No, we're going to take over your ship." And they're all fighting. And then all of a sudden, they're fighting with swords. All the modern weapons gone away, and people are, and nobody in the, the ship goes, "Where did all the modern weapons go?" Then they pick up a swords and start beating up each other. And they start making up stories about why the other people are so terrible. One guy's like, "They killed my brother," and the other character's like, "Wait, you don't have a brother?" <laughs> and they make up these 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 yeah. these uh, oh, grievances against each other. And then they finally, realize an alien, is put them up to all this, and they decide to stop. And then one of the Klingon guys throws down his sword and says that only, you know, we hate these other humans, but only a fool fights in a burning house. Yeah. Which I think is super. It's a very helpful metaphor because what do you do in a crisis like the worst thing you could do is turn on each other Mm -hmm. i I had this talk with um the head of uh the christian council of churches in the wisconsin council of churches Mm -hmm. basically said we don't need to be unified in fear that churches and other faith groups have had adapted to many different communities many different places and but if they lead with fear that's not going to help anybody
0: right I see this opportunity that's also kind of a scary thing to have these conversations, theological conversations where we say, like what are deal breakers for us and what aren't deal breakers for us? And can we really talk about where that came from? Is it a cultural thing? Is it Mm -hmm. it actually there? And I think we are seeing more and more people and I would say the, the younger generation is leading the way and saying, okay, I was just talking to Lori Wilbert and she just wrote the book called uh, Curious Faith. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I am more, I'm more comfortable now with uncertainty than I have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And I, she was like, I feel really strong about the creeds of Christianity. The rest I'm willing to have the conversation that feels like a really, it could be scary for people, but I feel like Mm -hmm. there is a, a possibility that opens up for the future of the church. Like, you can believe some things really strongly and that they have really big repercussions and also be like, but I'm not exactly sure if that's just me. If this Mm -hmm. is
1: heresy. Yeah, I mean, these are all... What are the boundaries you're going to use and how are you going to interpret these things? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we see is uh, a willingness among people old and young to distance themselves from people pretty quickly. We don't have a real stickiness of... That, I, that we, ha- we have all, or many people have adopted a, a basically a consumer uh, mentality. So this is an idea okay. called affective polarization, that your okay. identity is packed together. And the way you get things done as a group is to figure out who you don't like. And then you motivate people to fight against the people they don't like. Even though the people don't, they don't like might have some of the same ideas. And so we right. don't have, we yes. don't have spaces where people... Yeah can stick together. Now, uh, uh, church leadership can be, at the same time, we've had this kind of slimmed down church leadership where only the leaders in charge and they don't want to give people the mics because they're afraid of what they might say. They're afraid they might disagree. And it makes it messier. But we don't have the kind of messy discussions that make it easier for people to go forward. Like we've talked about the whole Dave Ramsey thing, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot, as we know. And one of the things that's really interesting about that organization is the kind of the fear of dissent or the fear of questions or the fear of conversation sure it's yeah. an efficiency model right it works more efficiently for everyone to be on the same page yeah. and just say be quiet and do your job it that may work and a business may not work but it's not gonna it's, it's not as great for a complex a complex world where you're trying to solve a complex problem and it's not yeah. great for teaching people how to communicate with each other. And so we end up all we end up in some places with a kind of list of a transactional relationship. Yeah. We love you if you do X, Y, Z. And then there's a lookout for anyone who violates X, Y and Z, and then the option to violating XY Z is shunning. Mm. So if somebody's become uh, Amish? Mm-hmm. In these ways, or although we
0: would never say that we do this shun- the we shame should. based, thing. I mean, there's
1: all kinds of shunning going on because people and it's you see this on social media, you see it. Yeah, I get hurt, I don't know how to say I'm hurt, I say I'm hurt, and you Even. but you can also come to people and say I've been hurt, yeah, and there may not be a way to say I hear you, yeah, I hear you, oh, what should I do? How can I communicate with you, especially how can I if you don't
0: know how to fix it? These are the sorts of conversations yeah. I'm having with my like seventy three year old dad, yeah. like, oh yeah, like how do I do that like for the first time in his life, he's doing therapy because he's with because he yeah. loves me, like and to have the therapist say, "Hey, you are a great fixer, Steve, but what if you didn't what if you're trying to fix the wrong problem? yeah, wouldn't you like to know what the real problem is, and I think yeah. There is some analogy to that with our like organized religion. Like what is the real problem? We'll be right back after a quick break. Are you ready to take this relationship to the next level? The Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded. And I would love for you to join us there as a thank you for their support. My patrons receive access to bonus audio that doesn't get shared with everyone else. Today, I'll be sharing bonus audio from this conversation with Bob Smitana. And that's where I'll be sharing content while I take a break from my regular schedule. You can access all of this by going to patreoncom slash untangled faith. That's patreoncom slash untangled faith. Before I jump back into the conversation with Bob, I wanted to share this quote from his book, despite all its flaws and there are legion organized religion can be a source for good in the world. That good work is in danger. Now. Um, I wrote down one of the quotes from your book, um, you said, "Well, most Americans still believe in God or some kind of higher power or mm-hmm. spirituality. Fewer and fewer have ties to organized religion." Yeah, here's my here's my response.
1: So what? So, so what? okay, a couple things. So, one, I would say that um, disorganized religion has its own problems in that, especially if it's disorganized in a way that you have uh, unbridled spiritual power and no boundaries. That. Never ends well. Right. The other thing is disorganized religion. I mean, it's a different world that if we have a bunch of people praying on their own, seeking out enlightenment on their own, uh, worshiping on their own, wherever they are, and a group of people that organize together, that meet together, that worship together. And then that organization channels their goodwill or their values out into the world. So it's different because –
0: so if I just key, say, it's Bob, burn it down. You would say there are some issues with burning it down.
1: Well, I mean, I would the say. Organized
0: yeah. the, the, organized the organized part. The organized
1: part is important, right? Because the organized. So we we were having this discussion on social media about, like, do you need buildings? I was tweeting about some of this. Do you need buildings? Do you need staff? Well, to get. And and it's like. So so a couple things. There are people who say, we just go back to the early church. There was no buildings, no structure, no organization. Well, first, they were getting murdered. Second, they were a startup. And the first century is a less, much less complex world institutionally than our world is. There are a yeah. lot less yeah. people. And third, it wasn't very long before they built institutions. And then those institutions were fighting each other and had become politically involved. I mean, with, with patrons and the by the emperors. Different factions of the church had patrons with different parts of the imperial family. That didn't go so well. So, and we don't want to go
0: back to that. It really like, wasn't go like ahead. the early
1: church or any of the early churches have ever been very awesome. They had, they had issues. They've always had issues. But I think the organized part really matters because, okay, here's an example. So just recently, a group of Venezuelan refugees get sent from Florida and land on Martha's Vineyard what are we going to do? Because, and they've got very little luggage with them. They don't know where they're going. There's no one there to like, no one is They didn't know they were going there. They didn't know they were going there. And the island doesn't know they're showing up. What do we do? So within fairly quick notice, the, there was already a social service institution there. They call the churches who are already institutions there. They identify who has a building. The Episcopalians have a building. They have a church hall that's set up, which has showers, which has bathrooms, which has beds, which has cotton. They have a place to go. They have food because they are already in the process of stockpiling food for the winter where there's uh, homeless ministry going on. You you wouldn't think there are unhoused people on Martha's Vineyard. Turns out there are. And there's food insecurity on, on Martha's Vineyard. So they already have all the resources. They've been thinking about this a long time. And it put years and years of effort. So when a crisis hits, they have all the training and networking and facilities set. They don't have to make that up. They can just put it into action. If you don't have that, then who's going to do this? And social media is great for instituting fast responses and raising money. So if you remember the ice bucket challenge for ALS a few years ago, that raised millions of dollars. It didn't solve ALS. It had to go to institutions to take that money and say, now you yeah. go figure out how to treat people, how to solve this disease, because complex problems require institutions and planning and strategy right. and money and people.
0: Because there is organized religion, there was a building. There was a list of people that they could reach out to. They have they have some names of people. Yeah.
1: So there we go. That's one of the kind of issues. Um,
0: all right. OK, so I don't want to burn it all down.
1: Burning, I mean, I guess forest fires sometimes work, but burning everything <laughs> down leaves so much. Especially burning it down in an un, an
0: uncontrolled a, burn.
1: Uncontrolled burn is not good for anybody because right. there, there's collateral damage. There's enormous collateral damage yeah. and startup costs. I mean, you're, you're talking about institutions that trace their beginnings thousands of years, right? right in churches, right. it's it's. Two thousand years in churches and synagogues. It's five thousand years, and other religious traditions. It's tens of thousands. It's this is a, these are long term institutions. Yeah. that have been shaped by history, and the, you can't replace all that. You can't go back to the early church either and just restart over because you've lost all that value. Plus, starting something new, I, I would. Um, this is a long answer, but I I would imagine it's what like people who start dating after a divorce or after a being widowed. Yeah. Yeah. You can't replace that other relationship.
0: You have to do this work again. You have
1: to do this work again. Yeah. And you have to start all over again. And you have to invest that and rebuild That's why it.
0: when people get married, they're like, I'm so glad I don't have to be yes. dating anymore. <laughs> it's,
1: why, it's, why, it's why moving from church to church is hard because you're, yeah. you're creating a new network of friends and family. And it's mm-hmm. like, Finally, and that's not easy, so I think that the, the organized parts matters. The, the, peep, the impulse to burn everything down is it's worth listening to. what is what is the frustration? Not every hum, human institutions are going to be flawed because they're human yeah and you can't get rid of the people and have an institution and the the trick is to make sure the institution serves the mission and the institution is shaped by the values of the people. Not that it serves an end in itself, and that is can mm. be the problem. That was the Southern Baptist Convention's okay. problem dealing there with sexual you go. abuse, right? Sexual abuse. None of the people in the pews would think that you want to shun sexual abuse survivors. Right? That you'd want to have a pastor who was um, abusive go from one church to another church to another church, and so and dealing with abuse in the church is already hard because it's your pastor. How do I believe this? Mm-hmm. There's already so a lot of problems there. But nobody wants to build an abusive culture. But it's easy for the institution to say, well, we're going to protect all these other things. And one great thing about the Southern Baptists is when the people in churches and the people in the pews had a chance to vote at their meetings, they said, Well, we want to know what's going on here and we want to fix it. They yeah. were not they were not going to mess with they were not swayed by the ideas that there's too much risk or there's too much institutional threat they were like no we don't want to be part of an institution that's abusive and no one wants to be part of that i would think like going through counseling with your dad it's probably not simple yeah it's probably not pain-free and maybe you're doing it and you're in a good place but if had you been at like at each other's odds and it may expose things that you didn't think you knew and maybe you don't want to know
0: yeah that just totally resonates because there's part of us that says man, it would be easier if the whole thing could be burnt down because I don't have to do the work of yes, like yeah. sifting between the good and the bad. But yeah. if you actually do have a love and value of this relationship or this institution yeah. and there's something that is worth saving, then you do put that energy, yeah. you do invest that energy, even though you're like, oh, it'll be easier if the whole thing was yeah. a disaster. Yeah. Um, I've I marked um, page 193 of the book. It's It's close to the end. Um, Probably right before the last chapter, you said, sometimes I think a church or other faith community is a bit like a gas station on a lonely Mm -hmm. country road. You can drive by for years and never notice it. Then one night, perhaps late, running out of gas or with something going wrong, you see the lights and pull in. It's there when you need it because someone left the lights on and kept the door open. It sounds personal to you, Bob.
1: It is. It's more it's
0: more than a job
1: it is and i i love this stuff and i want i mean i have i write a book in some ways about the how churches affect my life when i was in crisis when my younger yeah. brother died when our marriage was in trouble early on yeah. people were there and i think well what if there isn't someone there when you're in that crisis what happens to those people and yeah, you and said if you, Gra- you
0: said grace covenant church yeah. in north Chicago.
1: yeah and the church is closed so it, it was really difficult uh they couldn't survive COVID. It's a very small congregation, mm-hmm. started in the 1800s by Swedish immigrants to serve the Swedish immigrants on Chicago's north side, mm-hmm. and they adapted. So they the fact that it's, they were two churches ended up merging. One of them spoke Swedish in worship services till the late 20s, right? Wow. So then they changed to English, right? From Swedish yeah. to English. Then they keep adapting, and then um, they're about to close, and they revise. They had, they had been tremendously, and the people there who were older, it wasn't very simple or easy. It's not easy when you're a bunch of young people come to your church, and they start, they bring in a drum set, and they play different music, and they do all these things that you wouldn't do, and there's all the order and structure that you had relied on for, for years had been thrown out the window. And here's the funny thing. These the two churches merged in the 60s and apparently even until the 80s when they'd have a church function they had two sets of dishes (laughs) whose dishes do we use the one churches or the (laughs) other churches this was a big deal they had to swap off so nobody felt right so they kept those and i'm sure people were not like real happy what is this music but then we had the sound of babies and people so i think there is this kind of um that church was really important to us. Uh, but COVID, they had the same problems as everybody else. They've been 175 yeah. people, then 80 people, then pre-COVID, then COVID. They're 40 people. And, there's, and the building needs some work. And do we spend a lot of money on our building? They just – and when you get that small, you don't have enough people to kind of plan for the future. Yeah. And it requires enormous amounts of energy when you get that small to say – if we would like to have a long-term future, we have to do things differently again. And they just ran out of steam on that. I think. Yeah. Uh, so they, they so they sold the building, and that'll be used to start new churches, which can happen, right? It's better than selling, not selling the building, fixing it up, basically spending last every last penny, and then closing. Mm-hmm. They yeah. sort of that thought. This isn't the case that we can't keep going, but it's sad to see because it they won't be there for people. And that community won't be there. And there's a loss for those folks because they have to go start over. So there is a kind of like, there's always going to be losses in this. um, And it's going to be difficult. But there's hopefulness that some things could happen you don't expect. Like this church kept reviving in unexpected ways. And so there's sort of this idea, I like the gas station idea, because there's work to be done to just be faithful, doing the right thing and keeping things going and being prepared when the people show up.
0: And then they get to do that best of the best, not the worst of the worst that you see that can happen in yeah. that. Like there are some really, really good things that just come from being faithfully being there yeah. with the lights on.
1: Yeah. And there, and there are people who come back to congregations, even though they've had really bad experiences. You know, I think there is a whole, there's going to be a whole, set of clergy and congregations that are going to, have to figure out how do i deal with people's pain from the past mm. and bring them into something new and help them heal for that but yeah like
0: the, so the religious term yeah, of being the yeah. mission field right i yeah. do think that that um those those people are a new yeah. really difficult mission field or the, for... the
1: hospital there's the hospital idea that people come in with the wounds and how do you help them yeah. Uh, that they still want to give this a chance. But there's going to be...
0: And everybody feels um, a little skeptical.
1: Yeah. We don't have a lot of good trust-building um, skills right now. We've had in the past that so religious groups can, churches can can take the skills they had from the past to go, oh, how do I apply this? Yeah. People know how to build complex congregations of trust over long term. They know how to do this. This is in the kind of DNA of what churches and other faith groups do. Yeah. It takes... Uh, intentionality and energy and humbleness. But, you know, if you have the way that church can be practiced in the sort of stream down, cold play in a TED Talk worship, right? You don't get group prayer. You don't get group confession of sin. You don't get forgiveness of sin. You don't yeah. get group rituals. You don't have the congregational meeting that you talk about things and work together. You don't get to pray yeah. together and participate. So we don't we have lost some soft skills in our congregations because we've moved to a simplified and they have some churches have moved to what they call a simple church where they don't do very many things. They've cut out all things. All those kind of like ministries they had or groups they had, the the Tuesday night bible study, the mom's outing. The whatever committee; those committees actually taught people soft skills and how to get along, and allow people and said to people, "You are important. That you are, this this will survive because you are here." And we have moved to uh, some models that say we don't really need you. We just need you to be a cog in this machine, keep it going. Well, then people say, "Okay, I am just a cog in a the machine." They don't have relationships, or input, or buy-in they might otherwise.
0: That's fascinating.
1: I don't know so if that's you're true. Learning, yeah, you're say, learning
0: yeah. some different skills yeah. when you oh, yeah. show up for the six thirty a.m. men's um, Bible study. When you're yeah. sitting next to yeah. this guys, yeah, yeah,
1: you're sitting. You're learning things. You're learning about uh, and to get
0: taking turns you, picking up the biscuits. Yeah, taking turns, turns the leading taking the, the discussion, finding the
1: place, and leading the discussion, and disagreeing with each other, and sticking together with folks.
0: I don't know. You, in the book, you talk about these other gatherings that aren't religious-related, and wondering how they will be sustained. Yeah. Will, will will can they? Is there enough going on there that keeps people <clears throat> willing yeah. to keep showing up together? Yep. Um, it's interesting. It really is. At some point, I shifted to asking Bob some questions about things he had seen and experienced as a religion journalist. Yeah let oh, the chips fall i it was uh, not not long ago a pastor had said to you in an interaction i think it was about some of your reporting on andy wood yeah. hey if i if i faithfully serve all these years you're never gonna hear you're never gonna write a story about me bob yeah Oh, <laughs> <Well, laughs> but if i, I mean, mess yeah, well, up you're gonna write a story about me
1: well yeah <laughs> i suppose it's like if, you're, if your house if the if it's not an accident i won't write about there not being an accident yeah, we write yeah. about people all the time i mean it is. It is complicated that it is complicated to have people come to you and say, "Hey, I hear there's a problem," and then you don't want to, and then you're like, well, you didn't pay attention to anything I did before. Just, my whole life is going to be judged by this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, tricky. I I get it's it. It's
1: Tricky, and 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 this is you know.
0: I want to tell them like I had responded to it and said, "Praise God if that happens. Praise God yeah. if your name yeah. never ends God. up in an article." I people think there's an interesting about,
1: yeah. yeah. There Go is this
0: interesting, um, especially like pastors of a certain size church and like using social media means that more than just their church is going to see them and interact with yes. them. And there is the upsides and downsides to it. Uh, but there is an interesting push pull where you have a public platform and you really do kind of like the public praise in the, but you yeah. don't really want the public scrutiny. And so yeah. I think that's one of the things we're seeing especially when it comes to religion journalism is that there is public scrutiny when somebody has more of a public public face because yeah. they impact more than the 50 people in their community yeah although those 50 people in the community are very important and their lives are very much impacted but like the the outsized impact that uh, the accelerant of social media has put yes, on these oh, yeah. has yeah. changed the whole way of reporting. And,
1: and the way that we have turned. So there's a whole bunch of things going on there. So the whole pastor plagiarism question yeah. is complicated on a million. Yeah. Levels. Alex
0: had asked you about that. Alex went to the church with me at Franklin yeah. when we had that experience with our pastor.
1: I mean, it's There's like, is the pastor plagiarizing all the time? Yeah. Is this, is then there's a the second part of, uh, Churches are bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're no longer just talking to their people. They're streaming them to all kinds of people. What that do their elders do? respect, yeah.
0: expect of them? What kind of conversations have they yeah. had internally about what their expectation and is the, of the pastor?
1: Yeah. yeah, the content is monetized in a way. So you're not just talking to people and giving a sermon. Yeah. You are giving, you're creating content that is monetized and is. So that's, and you're broadcasting it and you pick up phrases from all kinds of different people. Mm -hmm. So you are, uh, there's the intentional deception. There is the, when you know that you got this from somewhere and it's a key point in your thing and you say, wait, I want to make sure, you know, so, because people will take that, clip it. And the way it is, the way you have lost control of the message and its dissemination. And disseminating <gasps> in places where you maybe not mm-hmm. thought it was going to go, that makes it more complicated.
0: It does, sure
1: yeah. And then the question of like, I if, if someone calls yeah. you and say, "Did you do? Did you do this thing?" There's no incentive for the church to say, "Oh," because there's no relationship. Like I can, it's hard to hear critique from anybody. Oh, it's hard to. I don't want to hear critique. So if you, have, clearly, yeah. if you have if you have set up a system where church leaders are detached from their people. In significant ways. And certainly detached from people outside. And someone says to them, but they have in social media where we're all on the same page. We're all Twitter Twitter users. We're all yeah. Facebook users. That doesn't just, I can reach you as long as you're open and say stuff about you in ways that I wouldn't in person or the ways that I wouldn't, I have no, no other access for. So now That's we're exposed true. to each other. We don't know each other. And sometimes the response can be, you did this thing. And the, for clergy, I think it's probably, or pastors, is probably a chance to say, oh, wait, I have to respond differently because one, I'm in the public eye, yeah, two, way. I'm in the, I'm people who I don't know are going to think and have a kind of a relationship with me that I don't know about and what I say will matter
0: there is nuance. And, as and much nuance. as we like to say, you yeah. know, it's cut and dry. Some things are very cut and dry in the situations yeah. with this sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. There are a lot of things where we don't know what conversations are having happening locally. Yeah. And it is that complicated public social media pastoral. Like, is this person pastoring all of us? Influencing all of us. And he, what I love about this conversation, this sort of thing, and even in the whole context of even your book, is that. I don't see you as like trying to take down the man (laughs) in this. Like you care, you care about the health of, of, of this because of the goodness that that has Mm -hmm. happened. And, and having some, having some clarifying questions is really good for the culture of our religious organizations. It's, it's good. When you find out everybody has different understandings of like, Expectation. Like, yeah. this is a conversation. Oh, I I assumed that the pastors did this, and the pastors yes. were assuming one other thing. If we all are on the same page and yeah. know, then you have less of a. It doesn't feel deceptive. It doesn't feel as.
1: So, one of the things you learn in a religion as a reporter is you're not in charge of winning in these things. Oh, you're yeah, not competing yeah. with it. Okay. You want to find the truth. You don't have to win. Uh, now, you will report if somebody says this, like, especially a public official. Well, official says something and you can prove them not true. You're going to report that you're after the truth. You're not after winning when it comes to religion, especially winning is not the thing. Understanding is the thing. And you yeah. listen to understand. So because when people talk about God in our culture, they're often trying to win or reinforce their own values. But to listen to people to understand what they go and say, oh, you believe that? Well, how does that work? And yeah. how does that work? Not just theoretically, but how does it work in your life? So the whole, yeah. you know who's in charge of what sort of stuff. Uh, Yeah. And so like
0: when you did an article on plagiarism that involved um, the pastor that I had had. Yeah. What I thought was really interesting about this is that you were able to talk to a bunch of different people, have different approaches to sermons, and then it can start a conversation that's really helpful. Hopefully that will inspire some hyper-local conversations. Where people can make decisions that impact their lives and and that I think that is one of the superpowers of journalism
1: yeah. is that
0: you can start a good conversation that will continue on. those little ripples will keep happening locally, it'll change someone's life. you might not know, yeah, but you gave you gave people access to information in a way they didn't have yeah. before, and you didn't have to make a ruling. you're not making a ruling on it. You're just yeah, saying have- this is what's happening this is the impact here are the different thoughts on it. And then you yeah. have this interesting article every once in a while, something will come up and be like, Hey, I wrote this article.
1: Yeah. That then- was one. Yeah, so. exactly. And then you can say like with that pastor um, who found a new church, you can say, well, this is what the pastor did. Is he doing it in the future? Oh, he's doing it in the future. Yeah, I'm going to point, I'm going to call the church and say, did you know this? Yeah, And maybe they knew it. Maybe they didn't know. And maybe they took them a while to figure out, you know, that this person was wrong, and maybe they were embarrassed by it, and they felt they're a very private organization.
0: Yeah, 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 and that, and then, and then we have realized, and you had pointed out to me, like this is different. Yeah,
1: this, yeah. this,
0: this, this guy that like just preaches other people's sermons all the time. Yeah and has other things that are going on yeah, and that it people, didn't just know. stay yeah. it didn't just stay in the oh, ground. Yeah. it it was it was a systemic like deception yeah. and, and abusive it's really different than the situation that happened where uh, you know somebody's preaching JD Greer's sermon yeah. and they've had a long history of like really serving their church yeah and they and- probably should have said this was a JD Greer sermon but they yeah. never yeah. intend they didn't have like A decade of like deception that goes along with it so that's the nuance that people don't always love to hear but oh yeah
1: no and there's this this whole there's this whole really interesting thing going on now too that you have so many people from so many different backgrounds who are now involved in different churches Mm -hmm. and they're seeing it all online so they all have different expectations of what is a sermon? Or what is yeah. whatever the pastor's doing? we
0: are like, I go to what? a Methodist church, and we all do the same sermon the same yeah, Sunday. We same we, yeah, yeah. We, we go through the, the, the book. The
1: lectionary, right? So there's like, yeah. oh, how does this all... And then people sell these sermon tips. Mm-hmm. And then you have bivocational pastors. Yeah. And then you have pastors now that have become communicators, right? Yeah. That's yeah. So that was the... And a communicator is different than a preacher.
0: Yeah. Well, and your job as a reporter isn't to say yeah what they should be doing it's to say yeah. here's no, what's same, same happening same, 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 this right. is the culture that's happening this is what's happening right now in 2022 yeah. yeah and this is how this church is dealing with it this is how this denomination is having the conversation
1: yeah 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 but yeah no it's very interesting because like what is what should they be doing well everyone has a, you know, is, there a yeah. is there a
0: should yeah there
1: should and what how is this going to work and
0: You're making it hard for people to paint you as, like, the person trying to, like, shame all the pastors that don't cite people the same way.
1: They can – and I think the pastors are all having a conversation because they're all only talking to pastors about what they think are the ethics or a set of pastoral ethics. And then there are what are the ethics of the people watching in my congregation and then what are the expectations of the people outside my congregation having about what you're saying. And then, 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 what is the generalized turning everything into content that's to be consumed and monetized done to the way that people preach and yeah, teach? And, when, and, and when
0: your name is attached to the thing that ends up being monetized, and the thing isn't is something that somebody else yeah. created, that's you know those those are the tricky questions. So yeah,
1: yeah, no, no, it's a very it's a very uh, yeah. it's complicated. People are very complicated, and they're not. Yeah. I mean, people do. Good people do terrible things. Terrible people do terrible things. People think they're doing the right thing and do the wrong thing.
0: Some terrible people uh, do good things.
1: Like the reporting thing, it's all relationships. Yeah. And I mean that, like, in that you have, it's how you approach people. It's can I be trustworthy? If I'm not trustworthy, then everyone's going to know it pretty quickly. I mean, there yeah, are reporters yeah. I wouldn't talk to. And this is, I'm going to quote an old white English guy. But Chesterton has the great a great line in one of his books i think it's orthodoxy but how bigger your life would be if you were smaller in it mm. it's a great like it's like if you if everyone else was the person doing their thing and you were one person among a bunch of people living this out rather than you are the they are people in your show uh it's like a great line it's like oh yeah, that's sure. true if i'm smaller in it then i can cuz i know what i think and i'm not very I guess I shouldn't say this. I'm really interesting. You should all listen to this podcast. But, <laughs> you know, I don't want to know what I think. I want to know what other people think.
0: So, my last question for you yes. cuz I, I probably you you got to go back to reporting cuz you know, breaking news and all this. You don't go to a Southern Baptist church. No. But you lived in a very Southern Baptist area for a long time yes. and you have friends that you, you consider people that you consider friends that are Southern Baptist. Oh yeah. Um what was it like to Have like Russell Moore say to Beth Moore, Bob's the guy to talk to. You can trust him. Oh, that was was, was, was,
1: was, 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 nice. Because you were at the right
0: time, you were online. She says something and you say, hey, I have a question about this. And, you know, she's a very public person, has had dealt with a lot of things, makes a lot of sense for her to reach out and say, "Uh, what should I do? And to have Russell Moore say, "I think I think Bob could do this story. What was that like? No, it's
1: nice. It's nice to have people think that you are going to treat them fairly and do the right thing. And, you know, not because you're – because you have a reputation of doing the right thing. And I think that's what you try to do long-term. It takes a long time. So that story is like, you know, I moved to Nashville in 2007. That story runs in 20. So it's 14 years of work of trying to do the right thing. 14
0: years of how you did your work.
1: Yes, the relationships
0: yeah. you had, being respectful to the people, and and you weren't going. You don't go to a Southern Baptist church, but you're no. very you are very embedded in that world and seeing yeah. how it worked.
1: And for a little bit, actually, we did go to a Southern Baptist church, well, but they were like did, pretending not to be Southern Baptist. Yeah, floated.
0: As we wrapped up this conversation, I asked about a quote Bob had shared. About religion making the world less awful. It, who was it? Was it you? Whose quote was the? Is religion about making the world less? Terrible? Oh, well, it's Ryan
1: Burge. Ryan Burge from uh, Eastern okay. Illinois University has. Yeah, that's what religion can do is best. It makes the world less awful. Yeah. yeah. So then you try and say, well, I don't want to. I don't want to contribute to the awfulness of the world. I want to try and contribute to the understanding of the world as best as I can. And it's much more fun. I mean, everybody yeah. else just wants to fight, and so if I can not fight, it's kind of nice. Yeah. So it's nice to have people that you know uh, say to you, "Okay, I respect that you did this. You got it kind of right. Okay, that's good. That's what you want." This. I mean, it's a really interesting time right now, it is. and it's interesting to hear other people's point of view. And if you're not trying to win, I think yeah. that really does help. I can't get you to. Uh, I can't get rid of you as much as I would want to, <laughs> right? It's not you, but people in general, like the but, people yeah, I don't like. Yeah. So no if you're trying to
0: win. And I'm still going to always be there as the loser.
1: But, you know, I still, yeah, we're still all going to be in the same thing together. And and how do we, how do we do this long-term?
0: Bob, thank you. All right.
1: Great talk to you. This is
0: so fun. Here's one last thing that I underlined from Bob's new book. Faith harms and heals. It pulls us apart and binds us together. It builds cathedrals and burns down cities. It gives life and brings death. Asking if religion is good is like asking if music is good, or food, or politics, or baseball, or books, or art, or science, or any other human endeavor. Religion is human, and it matters. Thanks so much for listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast. Don't forget to check out the rest of my conversation with Bob at patreon.com slash untangledfaith. I'd love to keep the conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and Faith Untangled on Twitter. For more information about supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash untangledfaith. You can find show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. A special thanks to my Patreon supporters. This podcast is made possible by support from patrons. Special thanks to producers Michelle Pianik and Phil and Susan Perdue.